Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Recently, our son-in-law, who is 50 years of age, an Indigenous Australian man, uh, lives here in Springwood, the son of a stolen generation mother, found and met for the first time in his life his biological father. At the age of 50, he didn't know whether his father was alive or dead or who he was or where he was, but through... um, very unusual set of circumstances. His dad, who's in his 70s, and he met just a month or two ago. They didn't know each other's names. They didn't know each other's histories or lives. They had never spoken. This was the first conversation, the first meeting that they ever had. And as soon as they saw each other, a 73-year-old and a 50 one year old, they recognised family likeness. Uh, Our son-in-law said, as soon as I saw his noggin, it looked like mine. That means head. (laughs) John tells us of a number of meetings between Jesus and other people. The first of them is Nicodemus. And one of the things I think John is doing in these meetings that he accounts is pointing out how different Jesus is to anybody else. There are resemblances, superficial likenesses between Jesus and others. Jesus is human. And at first glance, Nicodemus and Jesus have some things in common. Jesus is a rabbi. Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. Jesus is working signs and has a growing reputation. Nicodemus is a recognised ruler among the Jewish people, a Pharisee, very likely an older man than Jesus with status. He has a reputation. Both are teachers, both have a reputation, both have status. But they're really not like each other in very substantial ways. And I think what John is doing throughout his book is taking ordinary meetings, meals, drinking at wells, talking, and putting extraordinary meaning into the ordinary. And so when we read John, at one level, it's also ordinary. At another level, it's profound. And we celebrate both of them because Jesus loves ordinariness. He enters into the ordinary things of life. But not because he's like those other people. He's come to rescue them. John presents powerful distinctions between Nicodemus and Jesus. And finally, the distance between them is a chasm. Jesus is light. Nicodemus is in the dark. Jesus is the true life-giving light of the world. 
about whom we read in Genesis 1, the very beginning of the scripture. And Nicodemus, symbolically perhaps, but truly comes under cover of darkness. And it's beautiful that Jesus will meet him in the darkness to bring him out. John 2, 23-25, the verses just before the start of chapter 3, sets the scene. And I'll read it to you as it is in the NIV. Jesus did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. It's quite lost the repetition that gives us the point. Uh, in the original language, we read something like this. Jesus did not need anyone to bear witness about humans. He knew what humans were really like. Now there is a human who is a Pharisee called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a representative. He's the first in a lineup of people that Jesus knows through and through. He knows what's in their hearts. He does not entrust himself to them because Jesus knows that humans are flawed, corrupted and in the dark, loving their evil dark ways. And Nicodemus is the first in a lineup of humans that are like that. Jesus does not define himself by his relationship with humans. Initially, he defines himself by his relationship with Father God, from whose side he has come. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is the word that became flesh to rescue flesh from darkness. He's the one and only. He's not like Nicodemus in many ways. He has come to rescue humans like Nicodemus. This Nicodemus reappears in John 7 and John 19 and it would appear as though he does come out of the darkness to become a disciple of Jesus. But in this passage, he has come by night with hesitation and perhaps fear, clinging to his own reputation on his own terms, perhaps at this point in time. But when Jesus speaks to him, chapter 3, verses 4 and 9, about the kingdom of God, and this is one of the very few passages in John about the kingdom of God. It's not a frequent term used in John. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, entering God's kingdom, seeing God's kingdom, being born of God's spirit, Nicodemus, a reputed teacher of Israel, just doesn't get it. His responses in chapter 3 verses 4 and 9 are short. He is baffled. He is nonplussed. He's almost speechless. He is a Pharisee. He has studied the law and he is a reputed teacher. But he just doesn't get it. He doesn't know. He doesn't see. He's not been moved by the Spirit yet. He's of the earth. He's a dark person, untrustworthy. Jesus knows this kind of person. The difference between Nicodemus and Jesus in this meeting 
is not merely one of degree, as though Jesus has more knowledge or is a better character. It's one of origins and essence. Jesus, who is called in this passage, and I think it's significant, the Son of Man, which means he's truly human, in keeping with Daniel's prophecy, Jesus is the human. Jesus has come from heaven and become human. Jesus knows things Nicodemus has not even dreamed of, certainly never seen. And Jesus, in keeping with Genesis 1, brings the wind, brings the breath, brings the spirit of life, brings the light that is life. Jesus is the author, the creator, and the first of a whole new human race. And he's come to invite Nicodemus in. Jesus is the heavenly man. Paul, in his letters, will call him the second man or the second human after Adam. The one on whom the future hope of the whole of humanity and all of creation hangs. Jesus sets in motion hope, new creation. History turns on the life of Jesus who is starting everything again. He's the first and he's inviting Nicodemus in. And Nicodemus is by cover of night wondering about it. They're not like each other in essential ways. Jesus in this meeting, the Son of Man from heaven, sees, knows and is willing to offer untrustworthy earthly people like Nicodemus the authority to begin a whole new life. Jesus is seeking for Nicodemus and then others to join him in the world to come. The world in which heaven and earth are again united. The kingdom of God world, not the corrupt Roman world. The new creation, the new humanity. Jesus has come to find and rescue. Jesus is light, true light. Nicodemus is still in the dark. And Jesus tells Nicodemus he needs to be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? And I don't know that we um, talk about this nearly enough uh, in our churches. Uh, so a short reflection tonight. The emphasis in John is not being born again as though a second birth is required or a sequence of births, a second birth. That's not John's point. John's point to Nicodemus and all of us is you need to be born from above, from heaven. You've got to be born of God by the spirit, by the breath, by the wind of God. Just like Genesis 1, there is a new creation. You need to be born of it, into it, by God. You need to be born from above. Jesus in chapter 3, verse 5, he is as solemn as he can be. 
Uh, NIV has it, very truly I tell you. Literally it's, amen, amen, I tell you. Truly, completely truly, I tell you. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You must not be surprised at me saying you must be born from above. You must be born of God. You must be born of the spirit. The spirit, the wind, the breath blows where it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus says. He just doesn't get it. I presume he's read Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Torah and the Psalms and he knows the history of Scripture in which prophecies and clues and hints, promises about this water spirit birth are frequent. But he doesn't get it. Jesus says, if you're not born of God, born of heaven, where I came from, to put on flesh, you will never see the kingdom of God. This birth of God is God's initiative. Sometimes people experience God breathing, blowing on them in a gale force of wind and sometimes it's a gentle breeze. You can hear the wind blow, you can experience its fresh life from God. It's a gift, it's an initiative, it's the wind of God. So Jesus is not like Nicodemus in this way. Jesus gifts God's spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from heaven to earth. And all who receive God's spirit are born of God, born from heaven. Jesus is the author of the new human race, an entire new creation. In Peter's first letter we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. The blowing of the wind of God is all around the world. The gift of the Spirit of God is all around the world. The light is shining. The breath is breathed. The gift is given. The Spirit is here. And if you and I name ourselves tonight as disciples of Christ, then it has nothing to do with any merit, any work, any deserving in our lives. The only response we can give is thank you, Jesus, that you came down from heaven and started the mess, took on the mess and started over again with a new humanity, a new hope, a new creation. Breathe on me, breath of God. If humans want to be in the kingdom, we are absolutely dependent on mercy and grace. 
When a fresh, renewing breeze blows into a stifling day, what do you do? When a bright light shines into a grim darkness, what do you do? How do you know that the Spirit has blown into your life and offered you this birth from above? Well, John addresses that, as he always does throughout his book, in terms of John 3.16 and the passage following. The response, the conscious response to God's mercy and grace, to the coming of the Spirit, is faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Welcome Jesus. Trust Jesus. Become like Jesus. Follow Jesus. The Spirit draws us to Jesus, to the name of Jesus, to the extraordinary hope of Jesus. Our response to the initiating grace of the Spirit is faith, trust. And if there's anyone listening tonight on Zoom or in the room here who wonders, have I been born from above? Has God's Spirit been gifted to me? The answer is, turn to Jesus, trust in Jesus, for God so loves you that he gifted you the one and only, the heavenly human, Jesus. We come in response to Jesus. It's all about God's kindness and love and generosity. Entrusting in and turning to Jesus then, we're welcomed into a whole new future. So what will that mean for the way we live now? Well, first of all, it means that we will choose to live openly in the light, stepping away from darkness and experiencing true freedom that Jesus offers. In the passage from Titus that was read a little earlier today, uh, let me just read it again because it's just such a brilliant passage. Uh, Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 5. Listen to the overflowing words of grace and gratitude. Uh, Titus write, Paul writes to Titus, When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing. And he puts two words together here. The washing of rebirth, which is the same word in John 3, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Look at those words. Mercy, saved, generously, kindness, love, gratitude. Having been born of God, born from above, God wants us renewed. He wants the new human race in Christ to be like Christ. 
to put on the character of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So there is this word sanctification that we often speak about, but it's the life of the reborn ones. It's the Spirit-filled life, the fruit and the character of Christ by the Spirit in the new humanity. Moreover, having been born from above, we have become family in Christ. Paul used lots of metaphors for the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the building of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. But the one he uses more than any other, in fact more than 250 times in New Testament writing, is siblings. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same heavenly parent. We have the same spiritual character. We have the same living Lord. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a church of siblings. I'm struck by here in Springwood, certainly around the world and in more destitute ways in many nations, how thin biological families are compared with what used to be. How many people don't know, parents, grandparents, nephews, nieces, how spread families are now, biological families, across nations. We have one daughter in Scotland, we have others up on the Sunshine Coast, one here in Springwood, another one in Sydney, but many families don't know their biological families. They are strained and separated. Relationships are broken and perhaps beyond repair. Loneliness, distance, fear of the future is a real issue in many families. What would Jesus say? He'd say, welcome to the family of the church. They are your brothers and sisters. And we will care for each other until the Lord returns. We will honour each other, love each other, discipline each other, laugh together, eat together, argue occasionally. Because we're families. We're a family in Christ. When a person is born from above, we say... Welcome to the family of the church. Welcome to your new brothers and sisters. Let's start meeting and eating and sharing and caring together. We have folks in our churches who have no biological family members nearby. Well, welcome to the family of the church, your brothers and your sisters, born from above, Father God, sharing the spirit, character of Christ, imperishable hope, kept in heaven and we'll care for each other in that way until Christ returns or we go to be with the Lord. So John 3 I think is a stunning passage and we're going to see more and more of these as Jesus meets with people who are ordinary and he is extraordinary, who are in the dark and he is in the light and he's saying come with me into the light of an entire new world and that is what Alive at five looks like tonight. Born from above, we are brothers and sisters in Christ together. These are your siblings. Amen.